Because God is holy and his word is holy, we seek to honor him as we read his words. For that reason, let's stand, if you're able, as we turn to Luke. Luke 11. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 13. This is God's holy and infallible word. Luke 11, starting at verse 1. And it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey that I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray together. Our Lord, we ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit to help us to receive and believe and understand and to apply this text unto us that you would help us to have a greater fellowship with you. Help us, we pray, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Enlighten our minds and help us to worship as we hear your word preached. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I know we just sung this hymn, but I want to I recite it to you again. Joseph Gilmore wrote this hymn, He Leadeth Me. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me, by his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand he leadeth me. 
Sometime mid scenes of deepest gloom, sometimes where Eden's bowers bloom, by waters calm or troubled sea, still tis his hand that leadeth me. Lord, I would clasp thy hand in mine, nor ever murmur, nor repine. Content, whatever lot I see, still tis my God that leadeth me. And when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace the victory, the victory's won, even death's cold wave I will not flee, since God through Jordan leadeth me. When we look at the Gospels and who Jesus is and how he leads, this beautiful hymn, I believe, is talking about us being led to the way of salvation. Jesus leads us how to be reconciled with the Father. He leads us how we might pass, this language here is passing over the Jordan, is passing to the promised land, which is really to pass into glory, which we know one day will be a new heavens and a new earth. So the one thing that I want to point out, though, is this particular hymn doesn't mention outright that Jesus leads us in prayer, which he does in today's text. He leads us in prayer. Our Lord Jesus is not just concerned about us being justified or made right with God, being saved, but he's interested in us having a greater communion with the Father that through our prayers we can have a greater relationship, more privileges and opportunities opened unto us, that we would have the things that we need and that we would have that greater relationship. As Jesus taught today's text concerning prayer, notice that it comes after a question. We know we don't, we don't have a particular passage concerning this, but obviously John the Baptist was teaching his disciples how to pray and Jesus's disciples noticed this and they saw well John John's disciples teach them how to pray so Jesus why don't you teach us how to pray look, look at verse 1 it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place after he had finished one of his disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples and the thing that probably came this question came because they they heard how jesus prayed can you imagine you know, when you if you when you, you hear that high priestly prayer in john 17 you might want to say lord teach me how to pray like that and that's what they were saying they were saying they heard jesus pray and they said teach us how to pray just as john's disciples did so, as looking at today's text, the main focus is that you are to let Jesus teach you how to pray. You are to let the Lord Jesus teach you how to pray. And uh, we'll see this in two main points. Your way to pray, there's a way, a technique, or, which also details how we and what we are to pray for. But also, secondly, your diligence in prayer. So Jesus teaches us how to pray but also how to pray with diligence. Let's look at this first main point, your way to pray. Now, before we get into this study of the Lord's Prayer, which is at the beginning here, I want you to notice that there are differences between Luke's giving of the Lord's Prayer and, and the giving of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, Matthew 6, 9 and following. 
If you haven't noticed, Luke's version is shorter. Now, even though Luke's ver version is shorter and some words are left out, both records of the Lord's Prayer are equally Holy Scripture. Now, I want, to note, I want you to notice that Luke not only shortens the Lord's Prayer, but Luke also shortened the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount covered many chapters in Matthew's Gospel, but it's very much shorter in Luke's Gospel. Now, why is that? Well, you have to understand that both Gospel accounts are written to different audiences. Luke's Gospel is written to Gentiles, whereas you could argue that Matthew's Gospel is, is written to Jews and is trying to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures, that He is the true Messiah. But the reason that we know that Luke's Gospel is written to Gentiles is because a particular Gentile is mentioned, it's Theophilus, in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And, and this is, it mentions Luke already giving a prior account or witness of the Gospel to Theophilus, and that prior account is this Gospel of Luke. Um, so, uh, an, an argument I heard is this, also. Luke, being a physician, is interested to give a diagnosis for what man's problem is, namely sin and the need of salvation, and also to give the cure, which is faith in Christ. So maybe that's why you, you have these different short, shorter portions, and that's why we have different focus, because it's different audiences given. Um, another difference is found in the opening words between the two accounts of the Lord's Prayer. Luke begins with this. Jesus saying, when you pray, say, and then he gives the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew's account, he says, pray in this way, in this fashion. So we find from both passages practices that we use in this church. From Luke's account, there is a, we could say a warrant, according to Luke's account, that we ought to pray this prayer recorded, that we ought to pray the Lord's Prayer corporately. He says, when you pray this prayer, say this, say the prayer. Okay? So we, we use that prayer in our worship. We say the Lord's Prayer together. But when we look at Matthew's account, it gives us warrant to use the Lord's Prayer in that fashion, to pray the things that are found in the Lord's Prayer and to use it as a model for how we ought to pray and what we ought to pray for. And that's the model that the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Shorter Catechism uses in using the Lord's Prayer and the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, also the larger catechism, in telling us how we ought to pray and what we ought to pray for. Now, I'm going to go through some of these sections. Again, these sections are broader and really come after Luke and not I mean come after Matthew not Luke but let's begin with um, the first um, petition that's mentioned here in today's text when you pray say father hallowed be your name verse 2 well first of all hallowed means may your name O God be treated as holy that's what we're saying in that prayer the Shorter Catechism 101 says this, Here we pray 
that God would enable us and others to glorify him in all that whereby he maketh himself known and that he would dispose or that he would use all things to his own glory. Now, one illustration for this is the name Christian. When you bear the name Christian, that's Christ's name. That's the name of God the Son that you bear upon you. God's design is that you would use that name and use your life and use your words and use your practice to be a light unto others as a written epistle of flesh, you could say, to, to let others see Christ before a watching world, that you would glorify God and that they would see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, when one is calling themselves a child of God, yet living like a son of Satan, what does that do? That doesn't cause God's name to be hallowed or considered holy. It causes God's name to be blasphemed, doesn't it? Another petition here is your kingdom come. Verse 2. We pray here, according to the Westminster Shorter Catechism 102, we pray that Satan's kingdom would be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened or advanced. Um, I, I, I really do love the, Lord, the larger catechism rendition of this, talking about one thing that we pray for in this prayer as well is for the fullness of the Gentiles coming in that the gospel would go forth to every people, tribe, tongue, and nation is what we're praying for. But also by that, that Israel would also be called, that the Jews called. In other words, the Jews who are still not believing in the Messiah, that they would be provoked to jealousy. And they, they themselves would have that blindness removed from their eyes, according to uh, Romans 11, and that they would see and believe Jesus as Messiah. So those are the things that we pray for when thy kingdom come. In verse 3, he says, Give us each day our daily bread. Here the catechism says, We pray that of God's free gift we may receive a competent, that is a sufficient portion of the good things of this life, and enjoy his blessing with them. This is not in your notes, but Proverbs 37 I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. But the writer of Proverbs 37 asks for a competent, sufficient portion. Because if you get a portion too big, you might be puffed up and say, I have no need of God. You might forget God. But if you don't have enough, you might be tempted to steal and thereby dishonor your God. So you want a competent portion. You don't want too much or too little In verse 4, Luke recorded, And forgive us our sins, as we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. In this petition, Westminster Shorter Catechism 105 says this, We pray that God, for Christ's sake, would freely pardon all our sins, which we are rather encouraged to ask, because by His grace we are enabled from the heart to forgive others. 
I could not help but put in this wonderful quote from G.I. Williams, I mean, not from G.I. Williamson, from uh, William Hendrickson, another William, um, William Hendrickson. It's not that our forgiving disposition earns God's pardon. Rather, God's pardoning grace is based solely on Christ's merits graciously applied to us. He goes on to say that our sins are laid upon Christ and his righteousness is imputed to us. But an unforgiving heart is not a condition that can accept forgiveness. Think about that. You're not forgiven based upon your perfect obedience of this passage. In other words, the condition of your being saved is whether or not you've truly, sincerely forgiven others from the heart. However, if you have an unforgiving heart, that is a condition that would enable you not to accept the gospel. I love that. This final petition and lead us not into temptation. Verse 4. We pray that God, according to uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism 106, we pray that God would, would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support and deliver us when we are tempted. So often we pray this prayer, yet we ourselves put ourselves in the path of temptation. And I know this very well. I was Roman Catholic and we would pray this prayer and yet you would end up doing foolish things like having a young person, not married, going on a date and spending time alone with a young lady behind closed doors. And you're praying, oh God, spare me from temptation. But what are you doing in that condition, in that place? You know, you're, you're putting yourself into a terrible position when there's something that really needs to be saved for marriage. In other words, sometimes temptation, we put ourselves there. But other times, you can't help it. In God's sovereign plan, there it is, and you have to face it. So whether temptation is our own doing, or in God's sovereign plan, we can't help it, but it happens anyway, we are to pray that God would help us and deliver us out of that temptation. But pray for self-control and wisdom to keep yourself out of that temptation. Next, we see Christ then teaching on the matter of diligence in prayer. In these following verses, the Lord Jesus uh, gave a rather vivid illustration of how we ought to be praying with diligence, uh, persistence even. Look at verses uh, 5 through 8. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for I, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you that even though he will not uh, get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now in this illustration, 
I really, I don't know about you, but I think I could identify with the guy in bed and the kids in bed. And please, go away. Look at the hour. Come back later. Come back after 9 in the morning or, or something like that, right? But in our day and age, I think we lose something of why this parable is, I mean, it's not, it's not believe me, it's not a parable, why this illustration here is given. Um, you know, some would say it's, it's bad manners. It's bad manners to knock on someone's door at midnight, and depending where you live in in the United States or depending where you live in in Alexandria, Louisiana, if you go knocking on someone's door at midnight, don't be surprised if you get shot. Some might say it's also bad manners to not accept no for an answer and to keep persisting. But Jesus here is using this illustration because Jews considered offering care and support for a traveler or a sojourner as almost like a virtue, especially if it was a fellow Jew. If a guy would not give food to a hungry traveler, especially a fellow Jew, he would have failed in keeping the commandment to, to love his neighbor as himself, especially if it was his friend. And to keep that virtue of caring for the needy, the needy traveler, the hungry traveler, you would do anything you could to do that and to keep that. You would even bother another friend at midnight and keep knocking and pestering your friend so that you could feed this poor guy who's hungry. But there is a section here where it's talking about even the best of friends. Let's pretend this is his, his best of friends. I think your best friend, if he's knocking on your door at midnight, I think he's not really going to be your best friend. You're not going to feel like he's your best friend at that particular moment. And that's what Jesus is getting at when he says that. He says he... The, the man doesn't get up and answer the door because he's a friend. He gets up and answers the door because the guy keeps knocking and persisting. It's not mentioned that in, the, in, in this illustration, but the guy doesn't let up. He keeps on badgering him until the guy goes to the door and gives him the bread he needs. Now, th this breaks down in, in some ways regarding how it doesn't fit with, with the issue of God. Our best friends get bothered if we approach them at the, at the crazy hour. God doesn't. God never sleeps nor slumbers, according to Psalm 121, verse 4. You can go to him at any hour. When you can't sleep at 3 in the morning, when you can't sleep at 4 in the morning, 4.30, you could go to him at any hour, and you could go to him as many times as you want and as often as you want, you can knock at the door of heaven and God is not bothered. Because that is something, in fact, that delights him. He says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. And he wants you to pray. But what the problem is, is that when we have troubles and trials and we want to do it ourselves and not seek communion with him in prayer, that is where God gets offended. Now, some of us have this tendency to refuse 
to ask God for ongoing help because we might say, well, I've already prayed about that. And I'm one who's, who said that. Well, I'll tell Mary. I'll say, Marianne, I already prayed about it. Well, uh, this passage is kind of maybe convicting me a little bit where, you know, just because you prayed about it once doesn't mean you need to stop praying about it. And that's the example in this text. Don't accept no for an answer until the door is absolutely closed. And think about your unsaved loved ones. If you have an unsaved loved one, don't stop asking for their salvation, for God to open their eyes and hearts and mind to the gospel until that door is absolutely closed. And in most cases, that door is not absolutely closed until they pass from this life. Now, if you had somebody blaspheming the Holy Spirit and saying the works of Jesus is the work of the devil or something like that, then you might say, well, you know, to keep witnessing to them might be casting my pearl before a swine. But if they haven't done that and they still have breath and life, you can still keep praying that God would save them. But after giving this illustration, Jesus taught further on prayer. Look at verse 9. He says, So I, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. This section here is to be interpreted as Jesus taught on persistence. Let me read it again. He just finished teaching on how to be persistent in prayer. So I want you to listen with me as I read it again. So I, just, I say to you, I ask to you, ask diligently and it will be given to you. Seek persistently and you will find. Knock persistently and diligently and it will be open to you. I think that's the, the flavor that we get from looking at the prior context. We so often don't have what we need because we have not asked. We so often have not found what we need because we have not diligently sought after it. And so many doors have not been opened unto us, doors of opportunity, because we have not persistently knocked on the doors of heaven. Jesus completed his teaching on prayer by using a powerful logical argument from what we call the lesser to the greater. Look at verses 11 to 12. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, maybe you're like me, and maybe you've asked this question for many years, and you've wondered, well, how is it a person being evil by giving good gifts to their son or daughter? This would make sense more if you replace the word evil with sinful and fallen. Remember, he's making a comparison between sinful man and the Father in heaven. You then, you then, being sinful and fallen, sons of Adam, you being sinful and fallen, sons of Adam, how, and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I think that's the sense of what Jesus is teaching here. 
even though people or who are even unbelievers know how to give good gifts to their children, what about God who's perfect, holy, and sinless? Don't you think he knows how to give good gifts to us, for those of us who ask? He's holy, good, and merciful. Therefore, we should ask because he's willing to give, if we, especially if we ask in Christ's name, praying in Christ's name. Now, I've talked to someone who had a very bad relationship with his dad, and he felt like he couldn't pray to God because of this bad relationship. Keep in mind, God is not a deadbeat dad. He is a loving Heavenly Father. And He always can be approached. And He always listens, especially if you approach Him through Jesus our Lord. Yes, Jesus came to teach us the way unto the Father. He leads you to the path of salvation. In John 11, he told Martha, I am the resurrection and, and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, he will yet live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's not just a question for Martha. It's a question for you. Do you believe this? But then... Jesus teaches us the path of salvation through his perfect sacrifice, but he's not just here to teach us how to be saved. He wants us to have a greater communion with the Father in prayer. He teaches you the way to pray. He teaches you what to pray for in giving us this shorter version here of the Lord's Prayer according to Luke. But also, he gives... You, instruction that you ought to be diligent, persistent. Don't stop knocking. Don't stop asking. And yes, it might be bad manners in some areas of society to keep pestering someone, but you can never pester God with prayer, especially if you pray for things that are accordance, in accordance with His will and according to faith in Christ. Let's pray together. We do pray, our glorious Lord, that you would help us to be those who are persistent and even diligent in giving you every matter in prayer. Forgive us for the many times that we fret and worry and are troubled because we have not sought you in prayer as we ought. Help us to increase our communion with you Oh, Father, through this instruction given by your Son, even Jesus our Lord, and we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit, that you would bring these things to, ma to mind, that you would remind us of our needs, and that you would turn us to pray, and that you would even teach us to remember these matters and how we ought to pray. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for your Holy Word. And bless us now as we ask thee all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our hymn of dedication, let's turn to 518. Come my soul with every care. 518. Let's